Exclusive Books is delighted to present another homebrew podcast series, a celebration of South African writers and their books. Now 25 years old, Exclusive Books Homebrew 2022 is not the same old story, but a mirror and a window into South Africa, where we are, where we've been, and where we can go. A remarkable selection of history, fiction, memoirs, current affairs, and children's books on our most pressing and relevant topics, from identity to feminism, corruption to corporates, self-love and identity, and everything in between. Incisiveness, humor, self-reflection, and hope abound. Check out the full selection in all exclusive bookstores and online. Today's episode of Homebrew is presented by advocacy journalist and poet, Lerato Sibanda. From an Okapi wielding gangster wannabe to a renegade photojournalist, a cultural pilgrim in Malaysia, to the unwavering thought leader he is today, Ishmael Lahadeen has traversed many cultural, social, and ideological spaces that have brought him healing and self-acceptance. Welcome to Homebrew, Ishmael. It's good to have you and to talk about your new book, Too White to be Colored, Too Colored to be Black. Please read us a short extract from your book. It's August 2012. It's a year since I returned to South Africa. I'm standing in a long line at an ATM in the Grove Mall, west of Pretoria. It's early. It's one of those bleak and bitterly cold and dry mornings, characteristic of winter on the Highfeld. My lips are cracked and dry and bleeding in parts. My nose bled again this morning. My hands are deep in my pockets. There's a cold draft coming from somewhere. Maybe it's blowing up the escalators. The bank is not opened yet. The ATMs have not been replenished. A second line for the revolving doors of the bank starts forming. A man steps from the escalators and goes directly to the front of the queue. A man ahead of me in the ATM line shakes his head, turns to me and says, Black people, hey? They've taken over. I say something about not generalizing. You're not from South Africa, hey? You don't know. These are the new people, he says. They're not new people, I say. I think about saying something about history, but it isn't worth it. I feel like punching him, but he's a big burly fellow, almost certainly 13 centimeters taller than me, and he's wearing shorts on a cold winter morning. I whimp out, ignore him, and keep my mouth shut. From behind me, out of the blue, a black man in skinny jeans asks if I am white. I say no. I turn my back on him and ignore him. I ignore both of them. Skinny Jeans replies, So you're not a black, you're not white, you're just nothing. I want to say something, but it's cold. All I can think of at this point is whether he isn't cold because of all the slashes and gaping holes in his skinny jeans, and whether I could get away fast enough after kicking the white men in shorts in front of me. There's an icy wind blowing in from somewhere. It's relentless. I wish Suzanne was here. I hate everyone. I hate the burly racist. I hate the man who walked in front of the line. I hate the man who said I am just nothing. Wow. 
That's so wonderful. Thank you so much, good sir. So I'm going to start with an obvious question. Mm. Why did you write this book? And for whom did you write this book? I wrote the book because I, I felt I had a story to tell that wasn't my story. Um, I'm hesitant to be uh, autobiographical about it because I think that I'm not an interesting person, but I lived in interesting times. Um, I think if we consider ourselves unique or exceptional and up distant and apart from the society and the pathologies of society, we make a big mistake. So I wanted to weave my story in and out of the story of South Africa. That is why I thought it would be a good idea to write the book. I hear you, but what's interesting for me is, in as much as you do profile quite beautifully, quite narratively, quite poignantly, the places that you have visited, traversed, the people you've met, but in doing so, do you not feel that you have also unraveled and ultimately opened up about what has made you the person that you are today. Would you agree with me? I will agree with you um, in the sense that it is not for me to say. It is for you who read the book. It is for others to say whether I'm good or bad, whether I'm intense or whether I'm calm. I'm not an atomized human being. You know, one of the things about Ubuntu that I really like and appreciate is that I am really nothing without you. And you are nothing without your family, your community. I am nothing without the people around me. And we make each other and we remake each other. And how we respond to those changes and the grace and kindness that we have to employ to do that. Oh, yes. That's one of the things that I've taken away. So in some ways, you know, it's my memoir, but the book is not about me. It is about our frailties, our vulnerabilities. And, and that is what I hope to achieve with this book. One of the highlights for me within the book was your time as a photojournalist, yes. as well as your, your friendship with Andrew. <laughs> OMG! <laughs> yeah. What made it a highlight for me is the context. You know, yeah. here are two young men, one white, one colored, working and playing alongside each other at the height of apartheid. How did it feel to trace back to all of that? I have mixed feelings about that. Lerato, one of the things I did when I set out is to stay with the truth. You know, to st stay with the truth. And the truth, as I wrote it in the book, there are parts that will upset people. I've already heard that there were people who were upset about certain things, but mainly things that I've done. It's other people's expectations, especially my the erosion of faith and the search for constant identity and some of the things that happened to me. But the wonderful thing about my relationship with Andrew was it was, we were just two really miserable, grumpy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> upset 20-somethings. Upset uh, he was a brilliant writer. I was an average photographer and an average reporter. There are very many people who dramatize what they've done during the struggle. I'm not going to dramatize that and say that I was special, but I had limited options for writing at the time. And that's why I went into photography. Uh, so what happened was I just couldn't get any work. The police were looking for me and the military police were looking for Andrew. And, yes. and the incident you refer to in the book was, actually, we laugh about it now, but it was quite depressing then. 
when the military police came up to us and asked Andrew, can you tell us where this guy Andrew is, please? And Andrew said, oh, he's just walked down the road down there. They turned right. And I think I said, if you go downstairs, he's, he's probably in the cafeteria. And the military police ran off. And we just decided, okay, that's it. We've had enough. You know, Andrew took his jacket and we walked out of journalism and we just disappeared for several months. But the other part of that is, and, and here I need to be really careful, Andrew is not well at the moment and hasn't been well for many years. So it pained me a bit to write about that. There was a time when I wanted to use only his initials to refer to him or use a fake name. But then I came back and I decided I was going to stick to the truth. You know, um, he didn't want to serve in the military. And it was a dark time for all of us. So, you know, like most sort of white lefties in the 80s, they were constantly on the run because they, you know, they didn't want to serve in the military. And one of my other friends, David Bruce, um, opted rather to go to prison for six years. He was prepared to do that uh, instead of serving in the military because they believed it was unjust. So that is Andrew's story. So I was very troubled when I wrote that, but I had to stick to the truth. And for our listeners, the months that followed after they both basically fled the newsroom, all the adventures <laughs> they encountered are some of the most rip-cracking, <laughs> also very funny, very serious moments. Yeah. And I really did enjoy that. You know, what attracted me to the title of your book yeah. before I read the book is two things. The first thing is, the book kind of reminded me of Franz Fanon's title. Black skin, black skin, white mask. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I was curious if yeah. you had been inspired by that. And then the other thing that intrigued me was that I felt that, you know, the narrative of colored people, this people group in South Africa is kind of... It's missing. You know, there aren't so many stories yeah. of their ancestry, real life stories. Right. And so that's part of the reason why I gravitated towards your book. Right. Could you speak to both these two ideas? We tend to claim that we're inspired by these great thinkers. And maybe I am. You know, I said to someone the other day that I wrote about it. I said in the day of my birth, when I emerged from the black forest between my mother's legs, I wrote that at the time and it made sense. But I could have also had the poem by Bertolt Brecht where he said, I came from the black forest. I, Bertolt Brecht, came from oh. the black forest. So I'm saying that I shouldn't claim originality because maybe that creeped up from somewhere. I can't remember. So maybe it did. You know, I taught that book. I showed the film, my students, 15 years ago when I taught in the U.S. I taught for now Wretched of the Earth and various things like that. So I'll say, yes, it may have inspired me, but I need to be honest and say that I write these things. And the thing is, I never believe that I have an original idea because I've read so many things and in the back of your head, they just sit there and sometimes they come up at the most awkward times. So I don't claim any originality, but that is my story, as I said. It's the story and I loved it. And then about the narrative of colors in South Africa and just the complex ancestry amongst this wonderful um, yeah. people group. Do you also feel that there is that gap where more stories need to be told, whether it's within the genre of memoirs or even just plain old history? Lerato, I don't like colored politics and I don't like the politics of colored. Maybe because I'm still stubbornly holding on to my black consciousness influence. Maybe I'm being naive. So I'd rather go to our basic humanity. And I think to myself, in my relationship with people, I treat 
people as ends in themselves and not as means to an end. In other words, you know, I will be kind to you because I'm kind to you, not because I expect you to be kind to me in return. That is how I approach this. Because the minute we start assuming exceptionalism, so-called, the coloreds are exceptional, the Malays are exceptional, the Tosas are exceptional, then we start going to very dangerous territory in the search for purity. And that's why I wrote a piece, a column recently about the danger that one political leader kept referring to President Ramaphosa's nose. And I made the point that, you know, that is the essence of the scientific racism that scientists tried to use many years ago to measure the size of people's noses, to see if they're pure. So that's a very dangerous route to go through. So these are all the things that we have to deal with. We have to deal with it, but we have to come out on the side of nonviolence. We shouldn't weaponize our suffering. We shouldn't weaponize our ethnicities. We shouldn't weaponize race. And these are the things that I, you know, on a personal level feel. That is so refreshing, very humbling and a revelation for me as well, Ishmael. You're just being too kind. <laughs> I was going to ask, how are you able to remember all the people that you've met? Because, I mean, your book is littered with so many instances and encounters of various people, random encounters. For example, the scavenger man. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious, as a budding writer, right. do you sit down and actually list, I want to include this encounter in my book, or yeah. is it that as you start writing, things begin to unravel? That issue of the, the man on the garbage heap, that has stayed with me. I often think about that, especially when I read about or I see photographers going about photographing poor people or miserable people, or unhappy people, and they make a living of that. That was a very decisive point for me. But you rely a lot on memory, and I should make the point that memory is a very weak institution. It's a very weak mechanism. But I've also held back because there are you know, let me say good people that I've met along the way. But you don't want to also you know, boast about your achievements and stuff like that. But there are instances that are life-changing. And the particular instance that you referred to is the photograph that I couldn't take. It's like going to a poor area at Nukovimvaba or a lady who works the field all day, 12 hours she works the field. And then you show up and shove a camera in her face. I think that's just offensive. That's how I've become. Because, you know, I did, you know, photograph most of the violence in the 80s, the necklacing. And, and you run around then like crazy. But I just realized with that photograph in 2010 that I can no longer do that. It's an intrusion into people's lives. And it was voyeurism on the part of me, the photographer. Oh, my word. Ishmael, quite the book, I must say. Thank you. And I'm still reeling. I'm still reeling with all the yeah. reflections you are sharing just about writing and about truthfulness and um, as one of the reviewers said when I read the blurbs at the back of your book, yeah. this book is like a bricolage. There's narrative there, yeah. there's commentary there and you may argue with me but I dare say there's poetry there. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you people are all so, you, you have very low standards. <laughs> from my perspective, okay? <laughs> And I would say in conclusion that too white to be colored, too colored to be black, ultimately left me feeling connected to my unique identity yeah, as yeah. a multicultural yeah. South African yeah, yeah. and feeling endeared to this fair-skinned, green-eyed son of the soil. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for this conversation. You're welcome. 
You're welcome. It was an absolute pleasure. This exclusive books homebrew podcast was spread far and wide with the help of Vodapay. Vodapay is a super app that is available on all mobile networks. On the app, anyone from any network can send and receive money, pay bills, and shop the amazing deals, all in one place. It really is one app for anything and everything. If you like it, Vodapay it.